today is Erev Tu Bishvat. Erev Tu Bishvat shouldn't mean a whole lot, because Tu Bishvat itself, you know, perhaps. Uh, but you'll see what the, what the connection here is. We're also in the middle, depending what part of the world you're in, or middle, middle of the rainy season. So you'll see the relevance of this particular thing. But I want to ask you as a preface, and I'm giving away my age, and we'll see who else in here identifies with my age a little bit. Have you ever heard of a group called Simon and Garfunkel? It's a, a duo, Simon and Garfunkel. You know, normal Jewish kids, one from Newark, one from Queens. And um, uh, what's your favorite Simon and Garfunkel song? If, if such a song, question could be asked. Sound of, Sound, of Sound. Sound of Silence. Everybody picks that. I happen to like The Boxer. All right, you may know it, The Boxer. Mainly because I'm always the guy who plays guitar at the Kumsitz, and it's a great guitar song, and easy, which is more important, right? Um, and so this year really is called The Boxer, but you have to pronounce it a little bit differently, and you'll see that coming up. All right, so don't say The Boxer, but rather The Boxer. Very good. Okay, you'll see why, why that is coming up. <laughs> but I want to talk here about a fellow named Choni. But before we get to Choni, um, I'd like to ask you a question. Um, who was the guy who beat the big giant plishti from Gat named Goliath? Very good, David. Okay, excellent. Please open up, if you have access, to Shmuel Bet Perak Yudalef. sorry. Shmuel Bet Perak Now, uh, just one little note about Shmuel Bet, or the end of Shmuel Bet. Sefer Shmuel is from the beginning of Shmuel all the way to this point, chronologically sequenced. There's a bit of a bleep, or a burp, if you will, at the end of, from Perak Tet Vav and Perak Tet Zion, it seems to be a little bit of a... Of a chronological overlap, but for the most part, it is sequenced. All the way through Perak Chaf, the last four Prakim of Sefer Shmuel are from who knows when, but clearly from earlier periods, because in Perak Chaf Gimel, one of the guys mentioned there as a colonel in David's army is a fellow you may have heard of by the name of Uriah Chiti, who, as you may remember, bought it in Amon just because he had a beautiful wife, um, and we won't go into that. But in Perak Chafalif, which is a series of stories of David's heroes, and it's unclear, it seems that these are David's heroes from before he fully became king, from the way that it's described. Um, and you take a look at Pasuk Yod Zion. Um, sorry, Yod Chet. I take it back. Yod Chet. Uh, Yod Chet. Vati Od HaMilchamat, a series of stories of different heroes of David, Begovim plishtim. Vayach Elchanan ben Ya'are Orgim, Beit Halachmi, so there's a guy from Beit Lechem, Eit Goliata Giti. You guys ever seen this puzzle before? No. Does it disturb you? Why, why does it disturb you? Because we said David did that. Right. And some guy named Elchanan, who is ben Ya'are, so not ben Yishai, and some family of Orgim, whether that's a place name or a tribal name or a livelihood, from Beit Lachem, kills Goliath Hagiti, and it describes Gil, uh, Goliath's, um, the haft of his sword, of his lance, the Eitz Chanitokin no Orgim, which, by the way, is exactly the description we get in Shmuel Aleph Yud Zion when we hear the story of David and Goliath, the famous story. What do you do with this? What are your options of what to do with this in Parshan? Yep. Oh, sorry, what's your name? Talia. Talia, go ahead. You could say that this, because it doesn't, you could say, like, okay, maybe he cut, or it's, like, needs to be interpreted slightly differently, or that it doesn't mean that he actually is the one who killed it. Like, so you could kind of 
try to turn that around to see make both. Okay, so Talia takes one parshani direction, which is to look very finely at the words, try to massage the words, if you will, to make them work with the other story, so that vayach doesn't mean what the word that we use there, which by the way is vayach, but then mimotet, which is to finish him off, right? Which would mean that some guy named Elchanan kind of injured Goliath, and then David came and finished the job. But then again, you'd think that Elchanan would have been mentioned in the earlier story, right? Okay, yeah, what's, sorry, what's your name? Nettie. Nettie. Um, two Goliaths. Two Goliaths, good. So there's two Goliaths, both from Gat, they both have the same size haft of their thing, right? And the big famous monsters that the battle with them, mano a mano, you know, man a man is like famous. Um, and, and just two different stories about guys named Goliath. Okay, anything else? I mean, of course, what, what becomes difficult about that? One word, which is, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, you know, it, it, it's a little bit mind-blowing to hear that there's this singular guy, but there's two of them. And singular battles, but there's two of them. All right? Good. Yeah, what else? Yeah, what's your name? Zahaba. Zahaba. Say that um, maybe this person, Elchanan, is not really named Elchanan. Maybe his name is also David. Oh, okay. In which case, what we're going to say is that the story... Uh, the big story in Peric and you know, part of the the story of David, and we call him David because that's his royal name, and that his actual birth birth name is Alchanan, which is not unusual to find people like that, like Hosea, Yoshua, Yosef, Tzafra, Paneach, and that this is the actual just hit it story of the problem. Of course, is this Giborim with David, right? But could be anything else, Ariella. Maybe instead of. <laughs> instead of it being like about who actually did it, it's like someone that inspired someone to do something. So it's like, I guess that's like the first idea that like it's not actually like it's supposed to be taken literally, but it's supposed to be like about the person that led the battle or the person that like inspired the battle or whatever. But not okay, like good. So the the essential conundrum we have, and none of us, myself included, have solved this satisfactorily. We've come up with different suggestions. I think the idea that Elchanan may be another name for David probably comes closest, but it's still problematic, is driven by the following considerations. We have two texts that we trust implicitly. We have two texts that seem to describe the same event using the same name of the enemy in, with details that work, um, and it seemed to be a spectacular event that you would think we would be marked if there were two of them be connected, connected, and they're not connected. And so we have to deal with them. And then we have different methods for trying to, to, to deal with them. I don't have a solution for this. And if one of you guys wants to write a paper on it, write a book on it, that would be great. I, I'll, I'll be thrilled to see what you have to say. But I'm using that as an intro because I want to take a look at this story, which if you were to ask somebody on the street, who was Choni, what would they tell you? What? I don't know what street you live on. On my street, they would punch me in the face and run away. Why don't you stop me on the street? But that's L.A. But, but if you stop somebody on Queen Anne Road, I guess, right, and say, who is Choni, what would they answer you? Guy that made the circle, right? Okay, so we're going to look at the story of Choni, but you're going to see something very strange because I'll ask you the next question. When did Choni live? I'm not going to ask what Choni and Magal, why he's called that, or Ma'agil, or Me'agel, or Magul, possibly. Um, why he's called that, but when did he live? Okay, good. So let's take a look. Um, our first source that we're going to take a look at 
source source one is just is not something that really directly impacts on us, but it speaks to maybe even our Goliath problem. Um, who was Asav's first wife? Okay, she had a name Yehudit Bat Beiri, and you wonder like his first wife, who his parents really hate, and she named it Yehudit. So Sforno picks up on that and notes that in in um, in even in the times of Tanakh they have the practice that we have today, which is people use older names. They'll name people after not necessarily because they like that person, which is kind of what we do, somebody in the family or somebody who's heroic, but more because they like the name. And so, for instance, there is a Shaul before our Shaul, Shaul Merchavot Tanahar. And there's other people that you find earlier in history that have later people, very famous, named after them. And if you look in Divrei Yamin, you'll find something really wild, which is in the first few chapters where the, the genealogies of the family. So, Zav, what do you see there? Some names are changed. What? Some names are changed. Some names are changed, but what you find is names repeat in the family. <laughs> like there's a lot of quiches in the Binyamin family, for instance. Right? And and there's a lot of years in the Menasha family. So there's names. Tamar, by the way, Tamar is a total Yehuda name. Well, the names are all tribal and they're connected to the to the Shvatim. So he picks that up, and I'm, I mean you want to use that to sort of plant something in the back of your mind as we go through the these Mikorot. Um the first source I want to look at is source three. Source two can you can look at it if you want to keep it in the back of your mind. But in source three, which is the oldest halachic work we actually have. You familiar with Megillah Tanit? Okay, what is Megillah Tanit? I want to make sure we're all familiar on the same page. Right, it's the exact opposite of what people think. Then, of course, there's Megillah Tanit Batra, which I hope you're familiar with which actually is a list of all sorts of weird fast days, like days we don't know, and days that are certain yard sites, maybe, and right. But Migilat Tanit, the original one, which is this, is a list of days, about 35 days or string of days, in which we're not allowed to fast, and in some cases not eulogized, because usually um, either great military victories of the Hashmonaim, or oddly enough, or great political victories of the Prushim. Which is odd because the Hashemun and Prashim didn't really get along, but in any case. Um, and by the way, there's two dates in Megillah Tanith you're very familiar with. One is called Purim, one is called Hanukkah. Uh, in case you're interested, Noam Vered did the, the work on Megillah Tanith. It came out about 15 years ago. It is an amazing, critical edition. Um, and Megillah Tanith, by the way, is a one page document. That's all. Her book is this thick, thin pages, small print. Because the Milatanit itself is a luach. It's an Aramaic. It's a luach that just goes through from Nisan to eat to Adar. On these days, you're not allowed to fast. And sometimes it will just call, give it a name. Sometimes it won't give it a name. It doesn't tell you anything about what happened. And then there is a commentary, which is several hundred years later. So the Milatanit, we think, is about the year 50 or so. Right before the Churban is the final recension of it. There's a big discussion in Masachet Rosh Hashanah towards the end of the first parak about whether Batla Migilatanit. Do we still observe those days or not? And then afterwards, in the several hundred years after, different commentaries were written that got appended to it to explain what the days were. And in what to us, as students of Gemara, seems opposite, the Megillah Tanit's in Aramaic and the commentaries in Hebrew. And so the very famous story you know about Hanukkah. My Hanukkah, the Tan Rabbanan, the Chafi Bekislev, Yom Hanukkah, Tmanya Inun, Aramaic, Kshen Nichnesu, Yevrim, the whole thing in Hebrew. Right, and that that is called a scholion, that commentary. And there's two different versions of the scholion. There's a Parma 
manuscript and an Oxford manuscript, and what you're looking at on the page is the first two lines is the Megillah Tanit, and then underneath you could see the Parma commentary, which is one line, and the Oxford commentary, Oxford meaning the Oxford manuscript of the commentary, which is way, way longer. We'll take a look at it. Be'esrinbe, Esrinbe means the 20th of it, but that means we're at the end of the Megillah, uh, 20th of Adar. Tzamun Amma Almatra. Everybody was fasting for rain. Now imagine, it's the end of Adar, you're still fasting for rain. This, everybody's fasting, you're familiar with Megillah Tanit. This is full day, 24-hour Taniot, and the stores are closed and very intense. Unachat Lahon, and finally it it came, the rain came. Right? So that seems to be a Hebrew commentary to sort of explain it, which is not really part of Megillah Tanit. But notice, there is nothing mentioned in here about what happened, except the fact that they were fasting. In the short version, it says, or whatever you, however you pronounce his name. By the way, the reason I mentioned Magul is because there's an opinion in the Goanim that he was from a town named Magul. And that's why he's called that. And it's a it's a play on words. We have other people like that. You know somebody else that we have who's from a town, and then we use the town name to make a play on words? All right? Rabbi Akiva had a teacher, Nahum Ish Gimzo, from Gimzo. And so the play was Gamzula Tova. It's a Gimzo. Right? And we have lots of names of that sort. Ya- By the way, that starts in Breshit. Where does Yaakov have his wrestling match in the middle of the night? In a place called Pinuel. What does he name it that morning? Peniel. Kiraiti Elohim Panim El Panim. But the name is the place is still called Pinuel. The next pasuk says, and he was Solel Yechok Kasharvar Pinuel. So we this is something that that goes back to Breshit. It appears in the Torah many times. Midrash Shem on on places. So that may be who, who he is. Shamim. Right? So now, that day that it finally rained was such a big deal, and maybe it was a big deal because of Choni's role in it, no mention here about who Choni is, no mention about the circle, anything, just Choni went and dived and led the tefillah, and that's in that manuscript. But if you take a look in the Aleph, in the Oxford manuscript, you will find a lot more detail, and this should sound familiar. Right? Now you got to wonder, it's already the end of Adar, and it hasn't rained. So what's your first question? Why wait so long to go to Choni? If he's the guy, push the button and make it rain, why aren't you going to him in Marcheshvan or Kislev? Okay, good. Keep that question. Now, how is Choni presented here? If you, if you want to describe him, what does he seem like? What kind of person does he seem like? I'm going to give you two choices. Pious or sage? Because in Chazal's world, they're not the same. I'll say a certain name, Rabbi Akiva, as much as we think of him as pious, he's a sage. I'll tell you his name, Hanina Mendoza, he's a pious guy. Doesn't mean that he's not smart, but that's how we think of him. Where do you put Choni in that picture, in this passage? Pious, sounds like, you know, a guy who's got God's ear. Amar lehem tsu psachim, shalo yimaku. <clears throat> All right, and this appears in many of the versions of the story, but you're going to see why I'm looking at this, why I gave you the introduction with the story of David. He said, go bring in your, your Tanarei Pesachim. What are Tanarei Pesachim? What's a Tanarei Pesach? They didn't have three kitchens in those days. <laughs> what? Not, nothing with chametz, really? 
Roast what? Roast what? Which means, where's this happening? This is in Yerushalayim. The Beit HaMikdash exists. Korban Pesach is coming in a few weeks. And everybody has a Tanur Pesach so that they can roast the Korban Pesach. I mean, yes, it's Ham, it's free, but that's not the, the, the focal point. Shaloyimaku, we don't want them because it's going to dredge, it's going to pour so much, these Tanurim are going to get affected in some way by the rain, bring them in, or cover them up. Hidpalel v'loyaduk shamim. So you guys all know this. I'm going to do this quickly. Rain didn't come. Ag betocha. So he made a circle and he stood in the middle of the circle. Okay. By the way, ag uga, so the word for circle here is what? Uga. uga. Okay, which may be related to cake. Right, uga, which means what should his name be if his name is circle, the circle maker? Choni ha. Me'ageh or something, right? And if you want to really have funny, choni ha uga, and that'd be great for bakeries. But um, that which tells us that Magel may be something else. There may be something else playing in his name, just like Penuel, Peneel. There may be something else cooking in his name, and it's just kind of close, so they moved it. Kederech she'asa chavakuk hanavi. And now they quote a pasuk, al-mishmarti, al-moda, right? Chavakuk says, I'm standing here, and I'm not going to move until you forgive Am Yisrael, right? Amar, the next line, Rebona Sholam, banecha samu pneim alai, kshani keven bayit lefanecha. Now notice, Choni starts not negotiating, he starts extorting from God. Your children are looking at me because they know that I've got your ear. I'm like a member of your household. What do you say? I mean, I know we know the story. Maybe I'd have learned it when we were very, very young. When, how old were you when you first heard the story? Three, four, five, like that? Earlier? Later. How much later? Oh, okay. Okay. All right. I mean, I heard the story when I was a little kid, but it was kind of floated up there. Never paid attention. So, if I was to ask you right now, sorry, what? Correct, correct. And Lenny is who, who was inspired this year, by the way. Okay, just let you know. Um, um, but if I were to ask you, after the first time you heard the story, whenever it was, Choni, good guy or bad guy, what would your answer be? Oh, good guy, no question, right? Not so clear. Take a look. He makes a circle and he takes an oath. I'm going to say this coming. He takes an oath at God, not in God's name, and at God saying, I'm not moving until you do what I'm telling you to do. Chatsuf. All right? Now, So it started dripping, drizzle. Amrulo Rabbi. So now, his students say to him, and what do they call him? What does that mean? Who is he now? He's kind of shifting to be like, you know, he's our Rabbi. There's a little bit of a switch in his person in, in the way they look at him. Reinucha lo namut. Okay, we saw it. We're still not going to die. Meaning, okay, so we got a few drips. You and God have a little deal. You're making a shua, and God's going to make it drip, and that way you're off the hook. You can now go home and leave the circle. In the meantime, we're still going to die of of thirst. Amar lahem banai al tamutu. Don't worry. Amar nusholam lo kachshalti. So notice, and again, the chutzpah. I, it's not my words. You'll see whose words it is. He turns to God and says, that's not what I was asking for. Does that mean that my shua is still in? Or does it mean, okay, technically I've got out of the shua, but that's not what I want? 
It's unclear what he what mechanism he's using. That's not what I asked for. What I asked for is rain that will fill all of the reservoirs. All right. So just one word about bore. This has nothing to do with our sugya, but it's something that's often misunderstood in the sugya of Yosef. Where was Yosef thrown into? A bore. What's a bore? Somebody, somebody who, who you really don't ever want to go on a second date with. I know, but who? What's what's a bore? Okay, a bore is a cistern. Important to know that when you're studying Tanakh, a bore is a cistern. A cistern is a excavated hole that is quite deep, dug at usually at the bottom, like at, at the at the edge of a foothill. And its purpose is to collect rainwater. It all comes down, and in good situations, snow melt that will come down, and it fills up. Borot, therefore, are filled typically, if it's a good season, in March and April and May, June, July, and by the middle of the summer, they start getting empty, and by, let's say, the dead of winter, they're fairly empty. Now, where was Yosef thrown into? Where did the brothers want to throw him into? Right? Throw him into one of the borot. What will happen to him? It all depends, which is, what time of year is it? So I'm going to posit that the Yosef visiting his brothers was at the end of the summer. You'll see why. They say, let's throw him into one of the borot, and he'll die. And we'll see, right? What does Ruvain say as, as the other advice? No, la bora zemba shemaybar. Let's throw in that pit, that bore. Why? Hmm? Be what? That empty. Yes. In other words, they would have several borot, one next to the other, and they would first empty one, and then they'd go to the other one. So Ruven's point is throw in that one, the one that's empty, and of course, theoretically, in his game, he'll die of exposure, but we won't have drowned him, and then that'll give Ruven time to come back and save him. Interesting. Do you know what the area where those borot were? Remember in the story? They went to Shechem, and then they said, not in Shechem, they went to Do, Dotan, or Dotaina. You know what a dot is? I mean, this is totally off thing, but just for fun. A dot is, a, is an excavation. The area was probably called Dotain because everywhere there were, there were two excavations next to each other. I wouldn't have ever thought of that until I went there about uh, nine years ago, eight and a half years ago, uh, with her younger brother on a bar mitzvah trip. We went into Tel Dotan, into the, the army, and we saw everywhere there were two borot next to each other. And that's what they would do. They'd fill them up. They still do it. they fill it up, them up, and then they would empty one and then empty the other. And so it was probably at a season which one of them was empty already, that one. And the other one would have drowned him right away. Okay, just stop. Now, he's asking for Borochik mean water that's going to fill all this stuff. Now it's flooding. And this, of course, I think we could safely say is hyperbole, that each drop is the size of a barrel top or something. Okay. In other words, Noach. Noach version 2.0. Amar, which, of course, God promised he would never do Noach 2.0. Amar lehem banai al tamutur, on shalom lokach sha'alti ele gishmei ratzon bracha undava, yerdu ketiknan at shalu Yisrael mi Yerushalayim lahar habayit, mnei rovak shamim. 
So they all had to find higher land, higher ground, which, by the way, is part of the Noah story. They had to find higher ground because evidently the lower parts of Yerushalayim were flooded. Now, by the way, when we say Yerushalayim, where do we mean? So I teach you an answer that's the best answer you can give to any question you ever asked. It almost always works. What? Depends. It depends. It depends. That's the question. Just say it. Fit. Try it. Try it. It depends. Will almost always work, especially if you don't want to really answer or you don't know. Right? It depends. Um, when I say where's your shalayim, it depends when I'm talking about. If I ask you today where's your shalayim, so we got of course the old city, the east Yerushalayim. We've got suburbs all over the place, and of course the main western city. Talking about Yerushalayim in the times of the Beit Hamikdash, where is it? So it depends. And during most of the period of both Batei Mikdash, it is what we call Ir David, which means, and you're on a sloping hill, and if it's raining, you're in bad, you're in trouble. Somebody goes up to the top towards Harabayit, which is the highest spot in that city. You guys know when you're in the Kotel, you're outside of Yerushalayim. You know that. When you're at the Kotel, you're on the outside of the city of Yerushalayim, of David, and of everybody until Chizkiyahu, and of Bayit Sheni also. Okay. Um, All right, you davens that they should come. The rain came now properly. Now there's too much rain. Please pray for it to stop. And then, Now, the question is, is he acting as a chacham or as a chassid? Meaning, I have a psach you can't daven to stop the rain. Or is he saying, I know it's part of my tradition as charismatic prayer person that we don't ask God to stop giving us good stuff. Right? What did he tell them to do? Bring a korban. Go bring me an animal, bring us a korban. Right, so they brought him a korban. By the way, it's very clear that this entire story is happening with the Mikdash standing, correct? Okay. It's like, I can't pray to have him stop rain, but you know what? I'm going to bring a korban. He put his, and, and when he did smicha on the korban, he said, God, nebuch, your people, they can't even take it when you give them a lot of good stuff. Yeah, wink, wink. And you notice that this relationship is very convivial, very Hamish, if you will, with God. All right? Um, I'm, I'm going to skip now, out of interest of time, we may come back to this, but please turn the page and we're going to take a look at the Mishnah. This is the well-known Mishnah that launches the story. And if you take a look at the middle of Mishnah Tet, I'm using uh, the Kaufman manuscript of the Mishnah, which I don't know if, don't know if you guys are familiar with it. If not, ask. Um, ask your teachers. Masesh amru l'choni ha-magel, in the second, uh, in the second line, hitpalel yeshudug shamim, hemtsu v'achnisu tanarib sachim. Bishvil shalei maku. Sounds like the same story. Alright, so same, right? Um, again, there's nothing here about um, about them going to the higher ground or anything else. Straight up, proper rain came. Now they do come up. 
And then he says, we don't pray for it to stop. But, um, which is there was a, a spot, which is either Evanatoim or Evanatoin, there was a particular spot on Harabayit where either if people lost something, they'd come there to, it was kind of a lost and found area, or it was possibly where they would measure use for weights and measures, whatever it was, it was if that rock has been hurt by the rain, so then, um, and then we know that, you know, there's been too much rain. Now, remember I asked you at the, near the beginning, Choni, good guy or bad guy? And we're all like, good guy, great guy, right? Right? This guy could have been a hero in Oklahoma in the 30s. Right? Rainmaker. Now, this is going to bring us back to the David problem. Who, who's communicating with Choni now? Because, by the way, till now, when, do we, when does Choni live? Until now in the story. In either Megillat Tadid or here, when does Choni live? And is Beit HaMikdash, first or second? Probably the second. Say it again? Probably the second only because what? Well, Megillat Tani could be recording. You're right. You're, very likely, it's much more recent. It theoretically could be. Just wait for the for the punchline. But theoretically, it could be Bait Rishon, and it could be that this is some ancient festival that we have on the twentieth twentieth of uh, of Adar to celebrate because of this whole story of Choni. But you're right. It sounds like it's Bait Cheney. Now, Bait Cheney is a big stretch. How long did Bait Cheney last? How long was it up? Not Seder Olam, but his, but historic record. When was it built? Anybody got a date? Okay, 515 BCE. Okay, when did it, when was it destroyed? 70 CE. So, so almost 600 years. When in that stretch? I'll give you a few a few choices: Persian era, Greek era, Hellenistic era, Dainu, Roman era. Now, most of the stories we have about the Mikdash. In, in Chazal, but aren't in Tanakh, are from end of Bayichani, late Bayichani. The description, you're all familiar with the description of Masachat Sukkah, the Simchat Peita That's all very late. That's Herod's Temple. It's very late in the game. Question is, when is this? So until now, we have no idea, and now we actually have a very good idea. Because who's talking to Choni? Shemen Shatach. That puts us, puts us at about the year 70 BCE. Right? I should throw you in cherem, or you should throw yourself in cherem. Which, by the way, you take shuot, put yourself in cherem. Now, why should he put himself in cherem? Why should he be excommunicated? This is the guy who, who single-handedly, or single-circuitly, or whatever, <laughs> saved the people from a drought. Why should he be thrown in cherem? Really yeah. What kind of chutzpahic thing is this? And what are you teaching other people? And is it it's an awful thing? Of Maselach. Now notice, everybody here is like is like handcuffed. I, you really should be in Khaira. Right? But what can I do? you sin in front of God. Meaning you, you act badly in front of your father still, he's like spoils you. You think mitchate is gonna be mitkaper. Mitchate? Can go both ways. Mitchate could also be like a little child who behaved badly, right? But either way, your father spoils you, which means I can't get in the middle of it, right? And he quotes a pasuk from Mishlei Yismach Your parents love you, right? You're the You're a spoiled kid. Which kind of leaves us with the question of good guy, bad guy. But remember, today is 
Erev Tu B'Shvat. And remember my favorite song, a Garfunkel song. So you're wondering what does that have to do with anything? You'll see. Take a look at the at the sugya, source number five, the sugya in the Bavli, that spins off of the story of Choni. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Kol Yamav Shalotot Sadik, he's now talking about Choni, Hayamit Ster Mikra Hazeh, Shir Hamalot Peshuvah Adonai Shivat Zion Hainu Kechomim. Okay? Amar Shivin Shanin Bechelma. Now, what's he asking? Or what's, shall we say, what's his assumption about what the Pasuk means that caused him to ask? Well, the context is that this is between the, um, this is Galit Babel in between the first Benanikash and the second Benanikash. Right. Which is about 70 years. And the question is, how can we say that this concept of Shivatsion comes after 70 years, but it's also like dreams? Right. Meaning, the way he's interpreting the Pasuk is, when we return to Sion, it'll be like a nightmare. Meaning, we had a nightmare, and we woke up, and we're back. And how could it be that you could dream for 70 years? How could there... Now, that means that he's looking back and saying, I know there was a 70-year period from the Churban until the rebuilding, and how could that be described as a, you know, as a dream? What, does somebody sleep for 70 years? And here is the early, much earlier of Fedwinkle story. Do you guys know this story? You do. Okay. So just very quickly we cut to it, but you'll see the tree connection. He was walking on the on the road. He saw a guy planting a carob tree. And we know I say a carob tree in Yiddish. Boxer. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Good. Now, Right now, It takes 70 years. I didn't know this. It takes 70 years for a carob tree to give fruit, which, by the way, really, really is a good way getting around the Orla problem. Now, you got to wonder, this is really a, a, I'm sorry to say, a lame question, right? Well, you're so sure you're going to be around for 70 years? That's kind of a strange question to ask. Does everything that we do, is that the presumption? Everything that we do is for personal benefit? There's no such thing as doing something, putting something away for your children, for the future. It's like the most basic instinct for people to build towards the future and invest towards the future. I mean, their kids, and etc. Amraz, we have to understand what's behind this question. Now look at the language. He says, I came into a world that had a carob, which means somebody planted it for me. So just like they plant it for me, I'll plant it for my kids. Beautiful idea. So, right? So, Choninen sits down, he has something to eat. He fell asleep. Evidently, he was hidden behind like the, a prong, like a promontory of a rock or something. I couldn't be seen. Happens to me all the time. <laughs> He comes, he gets up. He suddenly saw that that carob tree that was just a sapling, suddenly there was a guy picking fruit from there. So he said, do you know who the guy is who planted that? My grandfather did. Now, you're there's like one big thing that's popping in, which is, of course, I slept for 70 years. I slept for long enough for that tree that needs 70 years to give fruit, to give fruit. Either that or something else very weird is going on, but we'll, we'll assume that. 
there may be something else going on, as we'll see in the Rishalmi. Um Amar Vadai Shivinstein Bachelma. So now I see you could sleep for 70 years, so now I understand the Pasuk. By the way, I want you to think about the Pasuk. That Pasuk is part of a whole parak. What's the end of that parak? Last two Pasukim in that parak. Go ahead, sing it, sing it, whatever tune you want, sing it in your head. Do my machonim for help, pass it around. I know, I know the guy, pass it to the guys. Yeah. <laughs> Just before that, just before that, Haz- those who plant, crying. So suddenly this is about planting and harvesting. Aha, uh-huh. so there's something else going on in his connection to this parak. 70 years, planting, harvesting. All right, let's see the rest of the story. Azalaveta, he comes home, which of course, you know, the home is still there, that's nice. Amarlo, Berei Mimikayim is the son, meaning evidently he had a son that he missed the rest of his life on. Is he around? His son is no longer alive, but his grandson's alive. So he said, I'm the Choni, I'm the grandfather. They of course didn't believe him. Now we have no idea what he looked like. Right? How many teeth did he have left? What did he sound like? We don't know any of that. Midrasha. It comes to the Beit Midrash, and now we're going to see him pictured, you will see as what? Shaminu The learning in the Beit Midrash is as clear and enlightening as the days when Choni was here. Any question anybody had, he would answer it. It's that clarity. Oh, we missed the good old days of Choni, and Choni's standing and hearing this. Right? Who, of course, they've all listed him as MIA. By the way, nobody has brought up the Aguna. I've never seen any source where anybody brings up the Aguna problem with Mrs. Choni. Right? Amarlehu, Ananinhu. So he says, I'm Choni. Right? Lohim Nua. They don't believe him. Now, what should they have, what should he have done to convince them? Say something, answer questions. Say something brilliant. Doesn't happen. Lo Nahagi be Yakar Kanuailin. They didn't honor him properly. So he davened for God to take him, and God did take him. Now, I want, again, to ask that question, good guy or bad guy. I don't mean, do we like him or not? You want him as a neighbor or not? But um, what's, what do you think is the Gemara's assessment of him? Is this somebody worth emulating to the extent that you can? Do you know anybody else who by Rachamele? Who actually asked God, please take my life? Hmm? Yonah. And the text is not very happy with Yonah, right? Who else? Eliyahu. Eliyahu. But that's a point at which Eliyahu is disfavored, right? And is told, no, 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 you got where to go. And, and by the way, he gets fired in that scene, right? He gets pink slipped, right? There's one other, Moshe. But Moshe, he seemed like, okay, you know, it's a, it's a big job. Okay, we'll, we'll let you go that one time, right? But it's a it's a very uh, it's a very difficult line, and he actually, unlike those other three, he actually succeeds. He dies. And Rabbah says that's the famous saying, "O chavra o mituta," right? Which you might use as a text when your chavruta is late to like really guilt them out, which either chavruta or death. But it doesn't mean chavra chavruta. It means because even the Chavruta system, I think, is much newer than this. But Chavra means either a group of friends or death. And it was, isolation is just terrible. 
Okay, and that's kind of a story to back it up. But now take a look at this passage in the Yushalmi, and we'll go back to the problem with Shmuel. Say for Shmuel. Um, a Talmud Yushalmi has the same Mishnah that we have, and then tells the story. Amr of Yudan, you see it on the third page, on the second line. Giriah Hadain Chona Hamagel Barbre de Choni Hamagel. She tells a story about a guy named Choni, who's the grandson of Choni, both in Magel, which again may, may again hit to the idea that's the name of their town or something. Samich Luchorban Beit Muktasha. Whoop. When did he live? Close. Just before the Khurban. And now, whenever you hear a story in Gemara, close to the Khurban, you assume Khurban of what? Bayit Cheney. Right? Recent. All right, get ready to be surprised. Nafak Latura Legabe Poala. He went out to the mountain to visit his workers. So, by the way, Choni here is present as present as something like a, a Boaz kind of guy, like a rich guy, right? Adu Taman Nachat Mitra. Notice the story. Choni goes out and it starts raining. Not Choni goes out and makes it rain. Choni goes out and gets hit by rain. Ale Lamarta. He goes into a cave to hide. Minyativ Gam. Um, uh, he went, he fell asleep. And again, the rock kind of covered him. He was asleep for 70 years. You ready? In other words, while he was sleeping, the Beit HaMikdash was destroyed and rebuilt. Which puts him when? Puts him in the sixth century BCE. Very surprising. Lesof shuvin shnin it armin shinte woke up. Nafak lemnin maarta v'chama alma machlov. He came out and he saw a world that was different. By the way, theoretically, what kind of what would he see if he had fallen asleep just before the korban and now it's post that? He should see a destroyed landscape. Have any of you guys been to Eastern Europe anytime? All right, I was in, in, in the future former Soviet Union back in 1980. Just think, that, think about that for a second, right? And, and it looked like World War II had just ended or wasn't even over. It was just desolate, destroyed, empty stuff, just awful, right? You'd think that's what he would see. Instead, what does he see? Zavid Avid Kamin, Avida Zaitin, Avid Zaitin, Avida Dizaru. In other words, that used to be a vineyard. Now it's an olive grove, etc. Things were different. Sha'ale le Medinta, Amarlon ma kolabalma. He said, What's everybody talking about? Amarle Vileta Yada ma kolabalma? Don't you know what's going on? Amarlon lo. Amarle manat. They said, Who are you? Marlon choni amagel. Le shaminan dehave ala la zora vehimin hara. We heard a story that there was a guy named Choni who would walk into the Azara and it would light up. Shalvin charat vikar al garmei. So alvin charat, sorry, he went up and he went into the now. The new Mikdash, which probably didn't have an Azara for another long time after it was rebuilt. The Karal Okay, for now, we got two stories. We got a story in the Bavli where Choni is bothered by this Pasuk, Hainu Kachomim. He said, could it possible to dream for 70 years, etc.? Now we have a story in the Rushalmi where Choni lives a few hundred years earlier, seems to be sort of overseer of workers, 
And evidently, he's some sort of a pious person. We don't hear anything about his wisdom, but a pious person who, when he goes into the area of the Mikdash, it lights up. And he falls asleep, and when he wakes up, and all of this has happened, he finds out, says, oh, now I understand the Pasuk, at Shivat What's going on here? So one final note, and then we're going to discuss. You turn the page, you're going to see a source that's in English. The reason it's in English is because it was actually written in Greek. So to bring you the Hebrew translation, it's still a translation, and we may as well go with something a little more familiar. And this is from the Antiquities. Are you guys familiar with Josephus Flavius? Okay, Joseph ben Matityahu. The most important work he wrote for our purposes, depending if you're a Roman a historian of the Roman period, the, the war is probably, but if you're into polemics, then Anstapion, but for Tanakh students and for Gemara students, probably the most important work is the Antiquities. It's a huge work. And in book 12, in book 14, um, and he's telling the story about the battle that happened when Shlomzion Hamalka, who I don't know about you guys, but I know her because of her street more than anything else. But when Shlomzion, who, by the way, whose brother was Shimon ben Shatach, when Shlomzion died, there was a big battle between two of her sons, Aristobulus and Hurkanus, over who was going to be rule. And it was a terrible battle that took place. Take a look at the story that Josephus tells. Now, Josephus is telling this 100 plus years afterwards. It's fairly recent. Now, there was one, I'm the bolded part, whose name was Onias. Onias would be Chonio. Or Choni. A very popular name. There was a famous Kohen Gadol named Chonio, who you may know the story, was ousted and ended up moving to Elephantine and building a Mikdash in Mitzrayim, which became the focal point of some really interesting Mishnayot at the end of Masachat Menachot, Mikdash Chonio. And the, and the status. A righteous man he was, and beloved of God, who in a certain drought had prayed to God to put an end to the intense heat, and whose prayers God had heard and had sent them rain. Which means Josephus, the historian, is, a, is aware of this story of Choni. And notice that he places, as you read the rest of the story, he has the story of Choni be in the time of Shimon Menchetach, meaning in the middle of the first century BCE. It all works. So the real fly in the ointment for us is the story in the Yerushalmi that has Choni be all the way back in the times of the, the destruction. Now, one last thing to look at when you have a chance, you see Midrash Tehillim, source 7, which seems to be a hybrid between the two stories, seems to mix them both together. All right, we've got all the information in front of us. We have a well-known story about a Choni who, in some way or another, either prays, draws a circle, makes an oath, there's different d- details about it. In some of them, he simply prays, which makes him a great guy. In some of them, he does this oath thing, which puts him in hot water, sorry for the pun, but in hot water with Shimon Shetach, and re- raises the question, and that's the whole rain thing. On the other hand, we have the whole sleeping thing, and the whole carob thing. And what are all of these things doing together? Is there something that we can get from the fact that on the Mishnah that talks only about Choni as the rain guy, the Gemara in both Bavli and Rushalmi tell the story about the sleeping guy and the tree in the Bavli? Any ideas? It's a lot of information, a lot of text to look at and to... And to uh, I think, yeah. What's your name? I'm sorry. Nettie. Nettie. Sorry. This is not like actually so developed, but it just it does seem like his personality, there's something consistent about like the immediacy 
then you feel like the way that he talks about Shem is very much like, I need it now, this is not what I asked for. And like that kind of explains his sort of surprise by the guy planting the carrot. Like, you're not gonna get the fruit. You're not like why would you want to wait for seventy years? Like what's the point? Oh, very good. So Choni's uh, I want it and I want it now guy. Right? Which, of course, raises the question why I didn't call him and kiss but we'll leave that question alone. Very good. And Nettie's point is great. This may be describing kind of good. Now we're going to take that attribute and we're going to say, is that a good thing or a bad thing? So you would typically say it's a bad thing. Does the story do anything to that? There's sometimes a place for it. Like there's a famine for three years, apparently. So we kind of need it right now. Right. And so does the story... In, in either the Rishalmi or Bavli, impact on that at all. Yes, Ham. It's almost as if, like, Kony needs to go away to learn his lesson, but he wouldn't be able to handle the 70 years in Babu aspect. So it's almost like almost like a chesed for Kony to, like, be put away for a little bit so that this way, when he comes back, he could be get home in. And it's almost like this, like, punchline, like, oh, now I get the line. Um, but it almost, it because he can't handle it, it's more of like, okay, we're not going to get rid of him now, but kind of push him to the side. Okay, good. Anything else? Ariel. Well, I was saying it's interesting, like, the way in the Megillatani version, like, the, the longer version that the Mishnah leaves out, like, the part of, like, the fact that he's doing it on behalf of other people feels like it might be more okay than if he was just doing it, like, as his own thing, like, his own, like, prompted by other people that he's trying to, like, be the advocate for them. Like, it makes sense to be a little bit more... I mean, not be chutzpah, but like be a little bit more aggressive. But if you're doing it just kind of by your own will, then it doesn't feel as. Very good. Okay. So Choni is presented here as purely a shleach tzibur. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I feel like he's like a weird character in the sense like he is this pious individual. He does have these powers to some degree, like these weird whatever, like this connection with Hashem. But at the same time, the people have to come to him for him to do anything to make it rain. He oh. doesn't take action, and I think also when he goes to sleep, like, he's not doing anything. He just, like, makes a comment, falls asleep, and then he's woken up seven years later, and then he's like, kill me. Like, it seems like he's not doing things with the powers that he was given. Almost like the famous distinction between Avram and Noah. Yeah. Back to Noah. Right, back to Noah. May Noah. Yeah, sorry, what's your name? Tamar. Tamar. Um, yeah, maybe also, like, I don't, it's not clear, maybe, the mission, like, what Shemam and Shatach thinks exactly the he is, just that he and he like wants to almost put him in the theorem, but maybe if Kony asks him to kill, then Hashem is I see. Okay. So, oh, and then Choni's out, gone, and then you can't do it. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Um, anybody else? Okay. It's great. That's why I love, I love when, when Kvot uh, Rabbani invites me to, to teach here, because it's always, uh, always great input and always stuff to add to, to the way I look at Sugya. When did Choni live? That puts a real problem with the Shem Ben Shatach thing, doesn't it? Unless Shem Ben Shatach is just commenting, like 
Uh, okay, but then the Josephus story doesn't work at all. Yes. Right. I'm not saying Josephus is not Kitfe Kodesh, but just, you know. Um, I'll take you back to the first source that we see that there are people with names that just recur in history. And even Choni, the beginning of the Ushalmi was his Choni, who's the grandson of Choni, right? As if, but, but he, he, it's like they both seem to have, they're not just named one name after the other, they seem to have like the same tafkid. Is it possible that we have a character in our history named Choni, who's known as a very pious person who piety in the context of tefillah is more than anything connected to rain? For instance, if someone were to ask you, you guys are graduate students in Talmudic study, and so as a result of that, someone to ask you, what masachtot would I look at if I wanted to read about tefillah? What would your answer be? Masachtot. What would your answer? Brachot and Tanit, without a question. Masachat Tanit is all about tefillah, right? Nusachat tefillah, kamanat tefillah, mitzvat tefillah, right at the beginning of Kimmel. It's great stuff. So maybe this is all about, you know, that there's this Choni character who maybe represents a particular type within this. A particular individual lived at a certain time, and then we kind of have these stories connected to him that may pop around. One other thing, just to think about. Because it is Erev Tu Bishvat, and the thing that motivated me to give this year today was the Charuv, the carob tree. Do you think that maybe there's a connection between the fact that the story is about a Charuv and the whole story revolves around the idea of Khurban? And that maybe it's the patience involved that you point to, that Shimon Shatach says to Choni, you need to have, which is what we needed to have or were required to have to anticipate better days. And that as much as we hold Choni up to be a paragon of piety in some way, we also judge him, perhaps not greatly, for his, not only for his chutzpah, but for also for his impatience. And the fact that the only way that he could make it from Chorban to Binyan was to be put asleep. And then when he couldn't take that, God put him to sleep forever. And that maybe the, the story is telling us that you think about a Charuv, which takes 70 years, which in Tanakh terms is Mikhorban the Binyan, that a Charuv takes that long from the time you plant it to the time that, it's, that it flourishes. Which means you're going to need to do a lot of Zorim Bedima and hope that your grandchildren can be Barina Yiktsoru. Um, this is something that painfully, from a certain perspective, many of us are experiencing today, is that we see the biggest sacrifice that somebody can make, which is not to give your life on the battlefield, it's to have your child give your life on the battlefield. To see unbelievable level of Mesirut Nefesh, an unbelievable level of commitment with one thing in mind. And you hear it from everybody. Doing it so that it should, it should be a Yom Shalach Now, this doesn't serve as Nechama for people who are at Har Herzl today. Um, and it's part of the reason, is, I don't know if you're experiencing it, this year it's very hard in advance to say, I'm going to speak about this in two weeks, because i got to know what the news was that day. But unfortunately, there's been a theme for any of us who speak publicly over this entire year since 
Simchat Torah. Um, and that maybe there's a lesson here. A lesson that might be a bit of nechama and might be a little bit of a demand that we need to have patience and see the longer picture, the larger picture and the longer view and know that there will be Berina Yiktsoru. But to know that right now we're in a Tukufah Azor in Bidima. And near Tashem, we should get together next year, this week, to have a shir about Berina Yiktsoru and be singing it together.